All right. What's up, all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart doing this intro on today, the 3rd of June. You know, this about a week, I think, after we recorded this episode, but as I'm sure all of you are aware, there's just been so much uh, happening in this last week, um, and I've certainly needed some time to think about, um, you know, what I wanted to say and what I didn't want to say <laughs> and what, uh, what should and shouldn't be communicated during this time that is, you know, continuously evolving and uh, really full of a lot of feeling for a lot of people. Um, yeah, uh, this has taken place for those listening in the future. Um, right now we are in a situation uh, in at the national and international level where we have multiple tiers of heavy action um, with a lot of societal change um, that is happening at a pretty fast pace, at a pace that a lot of us are, I think, struggling to make sense of. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still in this kind of COVID lockdown. There, there's been talk of opening it back up this month. Um, but that's kind of the base level that we've all been operating at for the last couple months. And, uh, on top of that, um, there is, you know, there, there, once again, I mean, it seems like, it seems like this, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like it is. Um, this is a, something that has been pretty continuous throughout the history of this country, but certainly it's once again um, being displayed uh, pretty explicitly, um, which is that there have been more murders uh, of black people in our country at the hands of police and at the hands of white supremacists. And it's, it's tragic. It's awful. It's, it's every synonym of that, that you could think about. Um, and, people are hurting and people are angry and people are protesting and uh you know it's it's a changing situation i i see you know it is an opportunity for for the kind of change that that certainly many of us have been hungering for for a long time but that is now you know at fever pitch and being art you know, being uh, being strongly advocated for. Um, I went to the protests in Oakland on Monday. Uh, it started at Oakland Tech High School on Broadway, and we marched from there down to uh, the Oscar Grant Plaza, and there was a huge 
rally with some beautifully eloquent speakers and Mr. Fab got up and talked and it was all organized by these two 19-year-olds uh, from the Oakland community and it was just beautiful. There was tens of thousands of people in attendance and really, you know, um, there was a lot of creative defiance and righteous indignation but also uh, a genuine feeling of solidarity and love that was really palpable and really powerful. Um, and, you know, uh, without getting into it too deep, it's, I think sometimes on the social media platforms, we can lose sight of that, of the togetherness, um, even just, even with all these themes of divisiveness that are out there being in that place with all those people, it did really feel, uh, like we were united and that was really inspiring. Um, it's hard to talk about this stuff as a, as a, as a white person. And, um, certainly there's many different opinions and, and feelings about what you should and shouldn't say in that regard. And, you know, I think that, that, uh, this d discomfort, you know, that certainly I've been feeling and that a lot of, white people are feeling right now, uh, it's really important to lean into that and to recognize that, that getting okay with that discomfort, with the awkwardness, with your own feelings of, uh, instability, emotional instability around these issues. It's, it's part of the healing and it's what people of color feel on the regular in this society. And so, um, to just be aware that, that, uh, that, that those feelings are an important part of the process and not to shy away from them or pretend like they don't exist, but to be honest about it and to, you know, seek to understand them. I think that's an important part of this all. Um, I don't really want to go too much deeper into it, uh, for the reasons that I just stated. Um, but I do want to say a couple names, um, just to remind everyone of what this is about. Um, and you can take the names and if you don't know who these people are, you know, do the research, uh, learn about their stories and, you know, take note of what feelings come up for you. Um, so this is what I, the last part I'm going to say in this bit. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Oscar Grant, Eric Gardner, um, as well as many, many others uh, throughout the years. Um, I recently, me and my brother watched the, uh, the movie Do the Right Thing, and at the end was a list of names, uh, of black people that had been murdered by the police. And this was, you know, over 30 years ago. And those names weren't familiar to me, but what was familiar was that sense of suppressed rage that like, Hey, they're killing us and this needs to stop. And here we are 30 years later, still having these conversations. Um, but it does, it does give me hope to see people out there walking, organizing, speaking, 
um, and being genuine and truthful with one another about these really di difficult topics. Um, the last thing I'll say is that uh, I stand in solidarity with this movement and I love you guys and you know my, my heart goes out to each and every one of you no matter who you are um, and to all my friends uh, I'm here my door's open and you know me I I'm always willing to to talk about these things and do my best to listen and understand and learn and and be genuine okay all that being said uh, I, w I am very excited to introduce my guest um, on this episode of the Bartcast. Uh, she is one of my favorite people. <laughs> I feel like I say this about everyone, but I really mean it for her. Uh, she's one of my favorite people in my life. I am so grateful to call her my friend and uh, just... Every time I get to sit down with her and talk, it, it feels like this. Uh, it feels like the feeling that I I believe a pirate must have had when, you know, he got to the X marks the spot on the map and dug up a chest of treasure. That's what these conversations with uh, this darling gem of a human uh, feel like for me. Um my guest today is none other than Megan Rachel McCullough. Uh, she is the head chef at Wild Foods and um, certainly one of the best creators of food art that I have yet to come across. Um, and this conversation today is pretty, I'll just say it's, it just feels like a conversation. I don't think we really had a clear objective or clear narrative or structure that we were trying to push onto the conversation. We do cover some topics, but for the most part, uh, this is just about a couple friends getting together and talking about life and, you know, everything from foraging to Australia to Vikings on shrooms. Uh, this conversation runs the gamut. So uh, I hope you guys find it enjoyable. Um, I know I did. And, uh, you know, like, like many of my guests, more than anything, I just wanted to give you guys all a little taste of the Meganness, the Megstonator. Uh, that I get to enjoy and that I'm luckily en lucky enough to uh, get to enjoy. Um, so without further ado, let me introduce to you my great friend, the wonderful Megan Rachel McCullough on this episode seven of the BartCast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Megstonator. Megstonator. What's up, girl? How you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Just sort of, you know, hanging in the sun, absorbing some vitamin D, one of the best vitamins for this uh, time and era. Nice. That's nice. Um, right. How about you? I'm doing great. I, you know, I have had my coffee. I did some kind of, um, did some, I'm transferring like a bunch of footage that I've been shooting for the last month and I'm going to put it all together and send it to this producer I've been working with. So it was kind of cool to like get all the footage in one place and see how much I've done and a lot and uh yeah it's all going you know it's a, it's another cooker out here today and, uh, yeah i know cooking in the cookers that's my jam it's a, it's a hot life cooking in the cooker that sounds like a... are we are we actively doing a podcast right now or have we not started oh yeah we're active girl oh we're, we're active live. great we're okay, live cool. and we're awesome. recording and awesome. sending it out to the oh. well, no we're not sending it out we're gonna this is not live, but we're we're recording right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freaking I like the soft opening. Fine art. It's, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. What's your where Where would you say you're at? Like, uh, you know, if if life was a thermometer, and uh, let's say like the first two weeks of shelter in place, you know, you were running like a one hundred three fever. Mm. Mm-hmm. What, what sort of temperature do you think you're at right now? Let's see. You know, right now I'd probably say I'm like a straight 100. If you asked me last week, I think there was a bit more of a feeling of like just um, opening up to, you know, possibilities that are more similar to everyday life before pandemic life mm-hmm. um, and just sort of being excited to, you know, see people. And I had a bunch of socially distanced things and um, just reminding myself that my whole world is still there and at my fingertips. Um, and I did have a little bit of like a, a reprise of the, uh, the <laughs> initial feelings that, that were happening at the beginning of, um, of everything as I just started to actually sort of as I started to feel the heat literally and just thinking about fire season and stuff. This is a very heavy note to start off on, but Mm -hmm. also very real. Um, And I just sort of was like, okay, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's some, there's some stuff to really try and be considering, you know, as we look at second wave stuff and, and also just our our crazy California seasons right now. And this, this hot weather definitely got me thinking about that. So, you know, my temperature rose a little bit, that's for sure. But at the same time, I feel, uh, let's say, an equilibrium in my body that's not as, like, just crazy as the first, you know, couple of weeks where I was figuring out what was up and down and north and west and left and right. And uh, so I feel on track these days. But, you know, a little bit more of a rational fear running in me, you know? Yeah. You've been putting the homie in homeostasis. I've been putting the homie in homeostasis. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Puns have been an essential um, vitamin during this time as well. They just they just keep the same, you know. Yeah. Bad humor. It's that's where life is at. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that they're gonna they're gonna. I'm I'm waiting for the article that you know that comes up on my Facebook feed. That's like new study finds puns effective treatment for Corona. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't People be surprised. who pun often are less likely to contract COVID nineteen. <laughs> New study shows. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I fully believe that. I fully believe that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, I definitely am really thankful. You know, I know that we've definitely talked about our different pods and how important potting has been to uh, mm. maintaining sanity in this time of chaos um, mm -hmm. and I know certainly like my little pot of people that I've been distancing with not from um, mm -hmm. has really helped me like maintain a feeling of connection uh, despite all the isolation yeah um, really excited the 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 chone Tony is moving in in just under a week that's right. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're getting super excited. We he, He's been working away, getting his room ready, and doing like, you know, we call him Tone the Toolman Taylor, you know, home improvement. And uh, he's been fixing up this room. And on Sunday, we like just got super inspired and we just like hit the backyard super hard and we've been landscaping it and getting everything Wow. We just are, we're just dreaming for the stars, you know, like oh, yeah. maybe a sauna at some point. We're like really like thinking oh, big about like making this, this house into like a real, like one of those like real intentional zones where like everything's nice, like reclaimed wood and, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's what that video was about. Ashwa Ashwa Tango. What was oh, it called? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was just one facet, you know. <laughs> Dakin, I want to create a space where Dakin can oh. really spread his astral wings and and oh. soar, you yeah. know, with the dolphins. But uh, um, um, but speaking, of Tony Owen. Yeah. Can I share a, a funny antic about my COVID nineteen time? Please share away. <laughs> So I'm, I've never uh, really fucked with online dating before. Mm -hmm. And uh, once this all started, I was like, you know what? Why not? It's like the perfect time to just like, just see what the hell it's about. Right. Okay. And uh, so it was like week three and I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to join OkCupid and just like, you know, see what, see what everyone's on about. Um, and I've, you know, always had my pretty heavy judgments on the online dating not upon anyone else, but for my own life. Excuse me, it is like here. And um, and so, anyways, I was sort of like having fun with it, checking it out, checking some people out. Not really liking the way it like makes you feel inside, like oh, just yeah. just liking sort of. Oh, just I I couldn't handle the sort of insta judgment. That yeah, you mean like a swipeable commodity? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Oh. So. I'm, I don't Is know that how to your turn. phone or mine that keeps digging? My computer. I'm sorry. I don't know how to turn that off. Maybe if I like quit messages. Like that. Anyways, 
All good. So, um, I was like, you know, I had some like okay, kind of interesting conversations with people, and I was like, pretty after like a couple weeks, I was like, this is, this, you know, not really doing it for me. And then I scrolled across Tony Owens' profile. Oh, awesome. <laughs> And that was the first time. I'm sure this is probably something that like people experience all the time. But that was my first time ever running into someone I knew on it. So fuck it, I'm gonna like him and just mm-hmm. you know say hey. I don't think we even have each other's numbers, so I was just like, I can talk to Tony. And then you guys and... matched. I'm assuming. Sorry. Did you guys match? Oh hell yeah, <laughs> of course. And then so we ended up just talking about just the silliest like chocolate chip cookies for an hour after watching your awesome little cookie trio and just like the most ridiculous Tonio and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was by far my favorite experience on online dating. And after that happened, I was like, fuck it. I'm off this shit. I know. I was like, after all that checking it out, I just ended up talking to someone I already knew in real life. And that was, that was the end of my online dating experience. Hey, I mean, <laughs> Once you go chone, you never go home, you know. Uh, isn't it funny how, you know, I, I almost feel like when you come across someone that you know, like a friend on uh, on the online dating platforms, it's almost like you like are walking in on them on the toilet or like you're like seeing them <laughs> naked. Like there's this side of them when they're putting themselves out there in like a recording way where it's like so intimate and you're just like, right. you're like, Oh, that's how you're presenting yourself. <laughs> that's how you see yourself. Huh? I get it. I get it. Sometimes right. it's surprising. Well, actually I, I don't have that much experience. Right. Tony, but I put I'm my, I put uh, a, it was like a year ago. I was like, I like took some like kind of sexy shirtless photos. Cause I was like mm-hmm. feeling I was feeling a little, uh, little frisky and, uh, it was like totally like the like douchey guy in the mirror shot that like, that, that my women friends tell me they like cringe when they see, but then also like, I've also heard a lot of them like kind of drool over when it's the right guy, you know, (laughs) it's like maybe I could be someone's right guy. So I tried it and, uh, just as an experiment, like, you know, I don't generally, Maybe this is, I've heard this from everybody, but I feel like I'm not successful mm. on these apps very often. And, uh, and so I put it up there and then like a week later, like my homegirl matches with me. And then like her first thing she said is like, what is up with this photo? You know, like <laughs> she starts grilling me about it. And, like, yeah. uh, it was just hilarious. Like the whole thing. I know it's you know I found it to just be like a really interesting kind of psychological experiment because it's like data dating you know I'm it's like you get so many data points if I can use that term I don't know if that makes sense but you know what I mean like there's just so much volume that all of a sudden people sort of turn into data and you can see patterns you can see like what kinds of people like you and what kinds of people that you know either ask you a question first or like assume something first or I mean I know I had such a very short experience with it but like I also like could see when I would reach out to someone first how that would respond if it was sort of like if I was gonna start in sort of like a flirtatious like kind of 
jokey way or like you know sort of like pointing to something in their profile and just saying something sort of you know witty versus like a really honest like hey uh, I really like your profile and I'm, I'm just it struck me and I'd love to speak with you and let me know you know so I sort of because there wasn't a lot of like risk involved I got to sort of like play around with things that maybe I wouldn't necessarily um, take that risk in real life and and just like see how things work even though it's not how they would work in real life you right. get all this interesting uh you know sort of like meta well not meta but just a lot of feedback from from many um many people that's cool. so I'm, yeah yeah it's really interesting i'm glad that you feel that way because i definitely feel like i'm like I've probably been off and on these these apps for like at least five years, but I feel like mm-hmm. my picture, my data is so incomplete, and there's so often like where you'll you'll connect with someone and exchange a couple messages, and uh, then um, then you like then they ghost, and you're like. Mm like is was it something i said was it like a photo like i, I feel like there's a lot of uh i i don't always get the the picture or the feedback on like why it did or didn't work and it's easy to feel like it was something you did but i think a lot of times there's just so many you don't know how many other people this person's talking to or what else is going mm-hmm. on in that sense and i know that uh mm-hmm. from talking to like both my female and male friends, I think the experience is very different across the genders. Um, Absolutely. I can imagine that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's, I kind of stopped taking them seriously. Like it, I think this, this is ironic because my last long-term girlfriend I met on Tinder, but it was like, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to take when you can't smell the person. It's hard for me to know how good of a match we would be, you know? <laughs> Send me a swab of your armpit, and uh, we'll right. see how we'll see where we can go from here. <laughs> I, was, I was funny. I was actually talking about this with Eli when he was on here. I was like, I wish maybe mm. I need to come out with a Tinder upgrade where, like, you can state based on smells, and you know, you get a little whiff out of your phone of your if you like someone, you know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, sensory online dating, but how it's not possible. It's not we funny. haven't figured out how to send smells over the internet yet. Gosh damn, gosh damn. That's a field. Hey, scientists, get on it, you know? I know. Yeah, smells. Smells are so important. I'm, I'm, I'm really into smells. Yeah. I feel like that's one of my, like, um, like minor superpowers is just having a really good nose for things. But I, I also usually only smell the, the strangest element of something. Like yesterday, um, uh, I was over at Eli's house and he was eating a salad when I arrived and he was like, yeah, it's really good. But I put these thyme flowers in there and they're like, they're delicious, but they have this really funky smell. And I was like, what? I've never smelled something weird in thyme flowers. And then I like smelled it and it took me a while, but there was this really specific, you know, I was like smelling it for like five minutes. Just like, what is this? And it was like the smell of like a cheap rubber eraser like or like the off gassing when you like unwrap something that's rubber and it like 
out like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just, I often just smell these really, really strange things. And like, I'll smell the, the rest of it, like whatever other beautiful floral elements are in there. But like, I'll get fixated on the super bizarre thing, which I don't know what that says about me, but. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the smell of the rubber bouncy balls at the variety yes. store. I love that smell. Yes. That, <laughs> so if you ever see thyme flowers, check it out. It's thyme like flowers. Balls. Like T-H-I or T-H-Y-M-E? Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I would assume that, you know, being a chef, your sense of smell is like kind of a professional tool that you're using, you know, in the kitchen. Yeah. For sure. I use it all the time. And I think that um, it's really, it's inextricable from taste because it is actually, I mean, as science says, you know, that you're, the actual sense of taste that you have in your mouth is just sort of reaching the, the sort of smelling glands from the back of your throat. So like when you smell something, you're smelling it through the front of those in your nose. And then when you're tasting something, you actually are, sensing the same aromas but with your mouth Hmm. and there is like there's taste that is more um you know like salty sweet acid you know pungent all those things you do actually taste in your mouth with your taste buds but all of the aromas really specific aromas which is what it's about um or what the finer tuning is about is actually the same organ as your nose you know yeah, definitely. I used that a lot and it wasn't really something that, um, I think I probably was born with like a pretty keen natural sense of smell, but it's also just like a muscle, like anything else in your body that you exercise. Um, and I had to start developing it when I was like in my early twenties and started working with wine and was like forced to come up with actual descriptors that are not just like, Hmm, fruity, you know, big bodied. And, like, trying to come up with something, you know, actually real or interesting about a wine. So so it was really just, like, exercise that got me my, my keen sense of smell. Yeah, I wonder if, like, smell, you know, is one of those senses. I have this, like, intuition, like, that... You know, as as someone that has a, like their own mindfulness practice, and part of mindfulness like is like this ex- exploration of the different senses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to practice these last couple of weeks in in like those la- like emotionally loud moments to pick one pick a scent and then like fully dive in, like like I'll close my eyes and try to hear, uh, try to hear. Oh, I'm sorry. You might be able to do is if you put your phone on do not disturb, it might. It won't come through the computer. Huh? Because it's coming through the computer. Yeah, but it's, I I think it might be through your phone. Like if you put your phone in do not disturb, your computer might not make a sound. Or you can go into, uh, if you go into messages and you go into preferences, you might be able to turn off. There's like a box that you can check for play sound effects. Away. Okay, I think I put my status on away with messages that I tried to quit and I turned my phone on do not disturb. Let's hope that works. We'll see. Okay. Um, but yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Too popular. laughs> it's not working. 
Okay, let's just use this as a tool for meditation. You know, we have to meditate yeah. even though there's a wild world around us and I'm focused on you, Hobie. Yeah, can we... I got another thing now that we're doing technical stuff because your voice is coming okay. in kind of jarbled and sometimes it's hard to understand what you're saying. Oh, um, no. I'm wondering if maybe... I don't know if it's just because of Skype or what, but maybe yeah. we could try if you unplug your headphones. Let's My see headphones what, are not plugged in. Oh, what are you... You're just speaking through the built-in mic on your laptop? Yeah, that's what happened because you could only hear me through my your left here yeah. so. so let's try the, let's try the mic again because either because i'm you're still only coming through my left so oh okay so i'll just plug my headphones in and yeah put your headphones in. in here we go how about now can you hear me yeah testing testing all right great oh, and yeah, then that's, the... that's way better oh perfect okay it's still and a little the... digitally funky but i think it, you, i'm going to be able to pick up all the I can hear the subtleties of your beautiful voice a lot clearer. I can get down with a little digital funk. Oh, this sounds way better too. <laughs> cool. Um and maybe the maybe the chiming will will go in through your ears and not through the microphone. So. Exactly. I'm glad we worked this out. Yeah. Cuz we got to these words are are precious. But uh but yeah, what I was yeah. saying is that uh hmm. So I've been practicing like, you know, I'll lay on my bed if I'm feeling stressed or whatever and try to hear like all the different layers of sound, like how many different mm -hmm. unique noises are going on right now that make up this like background hum of life or like looking at something and trying to see, like break it down to like how many different distinct pieces of information are like make up, you know, an object or a pattern or something that you're looking at or, you know, so for smell, it's like, you know, even in a room that's quote unquote neutral, if you take a breath in through your nose, like what stuff are you picking up? It's such a delicate organ. And we get, you know, it's just like if you have, uh, you know, you put on a shirt, you might notice the shirt for the first couple seconds after you pull it on. But then pretty mm. quickly you get used to that, you know, your, your nerve endings get used to being stimulated in that way and you like forget you're wearing a shirt. So I'm just wondering if, you know, your sense of smell through like a mindfulness practice, if you could like sharpen, you know, by focusing on concentrating on the olfactory sensations, if you could like hone that and become like a super smeller, you know, yeah. I could see that being a really like double-edged sword, you know, but <laughs> super smelling could definitely go both ways. Uh, but, uh, you know, it'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting practice for sure. I really love that you're doing that. That's such a wonderful way to feel embodied. And yeah, I definitely think you can. I mean, you know, working in a wine bar is not exactly like a mindfulness practice, but mm -hmm. it definitely brought about, it was a intentional practice that I, that I did bring about, um, my sense of smell. And I, and I really think that actually you know, with like the senses and there's more than we just sort of name, just smell and sight and touch and taste. And, um, I think that they are sort of what feed, you know, what we call intuition and like, um, what people might call psychic abilities if we want to go that far, you know, um, where like you, you sense something someone senses something and they're like, I just knew that was coming. And I think that it's not 
really that far fetched to um, look at certain senses, the nose being one of them and being like, well, if dogs can smell the rain coming and horses can smell fear and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we give a little bit more value to these senses that we have and maybe we've lost touch with over time. It really makes sense as to like where intuition comes from. And um, I think that sense of smell probably helps me with that. Sometimes I find myself just, as we all do, intuiting things where I'm like, I don't know where that came from. And I, I think it can go, you know, to any extent. I was listening to a podcast actually recently. Um, I think it was on Invisibilia, which is a wonderful podcast, if any of you haven't heard it. Um, and it was about this woman who had such a keen sense of smell. She didn't realize it for a lot of her life, but basically 10 years before her husband was um, diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I'm sorry, Parkinson's disease, um, she started smelling it on him. And she didn't know what it was, but she described it as this sort of yeasty smell. And the way she found out is like, you know, five years after he was diagnosed, so this is 15 years after she had originally smelled it on him, uh, they went to a, um, a support group for people with Parkinson's, and she was just like, oh my God, everyone in this room has that smell. Mm. And so she ended up doing these, um, she ended up working with a, a whole bunch of scientists that were studying various neurological disorders, which I think for a lot of people is far, like really far-fetched to imagine how a neurological disorder could smell something. But for me, who studied, you know, holistic nutrition and really believes that, like, and just in general believes that, like, most things come from your, what you eat and what your lifestyle is. And um, so anyways, that was, like, a really amazing example of, like, how deep smell can be, you know, how deep the uh, powers of someone's smell can be. And so she's working with all these like cutting edge scientists, you know, basically as they're explaining it, like um, predicting, you know, 10 years before science can actually see any markers, all kinds of diseases, including Alzheimer's. And um, I just thought that was so amazing and really validating for the thought that, that our senses really are, you know, really powerful so what you're talking about is this idea that uh you it's you're it's like you took the words out of my mouth it's pretty crazy i've, t I've talked about this on here before but uh oh wow. i'm talking about smell apathy <laughs> really yeah i have this theory that uh that our sense of smell is actually like you know we talk about telepathy like nonverbal you know, communication that we can yeah. like, have these exchange, like really unique data between each other. And uh -huh. I believe that like our, our initially, like this is like a tool that we lost as soon as we started uh, covering ourselves in, in oils and, and artificial scents, mm -hmm. especially like post-industrial, yeah. uh, you know, you can smell, there's so much, information being transmitted through pheromones through you know your body's natural orders odors and orders um, and orders, yeah and that this is like a whole set of data that we've lost as we've like as like through the market we've been trained to to like distrust and fear our own body's smell 
Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that, that like your scent has become something that you shouldn't, you know, that we've been shamed into not sharing with each other. And they're like, oh, that's too intimate, you know, but yeah, it's also science has shown that it's like the greatest indicator in genetic compatibility that like actually the way that someone smells tells you a lot about whether or not like you're, they're a good genetic match. And, you know, I have this intuition about, you know, you hear about how like, uh, women that are pregnant have like a, this massive increase in their sensitivity of smell mm-hmm. and, and, you know, along the lines that you were just sharing, like if you're like carrying a child, like and trying to protect this unborn soul, like it would make sense uh-huh. that you would want to be really in tune, uh, smell wise for p- potential dangers, whether it's from, you know, predators or from even like sick people, I would assume I would I would bet that like in some of the our primordial past, you know, these pregnant women could probably smell the tribe members that they need Absolutely. to keep distance from who are like, you know, uh carrying some disease or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder if COVID nineteen what had a has a specific smell signature that Oh I'm sure. You know, maybe maybe it would it's it kinda seems like if you could smell it then you're probably getting infected by it, but Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but you know, just, uh, <laughs> that actually smell apathy is something that we probably, uh, uh, at some point allowed for a, a greater degree of, uh, understanding, you know, you yeah. smell when people are nervous or when mm-hmm. people are scared or, or people are randy or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, we put yeah. God, that's so real. I can't believe you've already talked about smellepathy on this podcast. I think that's some smellepathy right here. Smellepathy, yeah. It's <laughs> my sixth or maybe my seventh sense, you know. It's, mm. it's a big one. Right, and speaking of seventh senses, I hear there's something special about me being the seventh guest today. Oh, yeah. You are, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, uh, Megan Rachel McCullough, the Megstonator, is it's my seventh guest on the podcast a very auspicious and special uh number it's my my lucky number my favorite number i know i know seven's kind of a cliche lucky number but hey hey i'm three it's worse right i've had it since i think since fifth grade and uh my best friend you know i remember he was all about it and then and then i you know, wanting to be more connected with my best friend decided that it was also mine. But then what happened was I started to just see all these connections to the number Mm. and it like clearly it like became my own pretty quickly. And, uh, I just love its shape. I'm like a big fan of odd (laughs) numbers and a big fan of prime numbers. Uh And so like, you know, three, five, seven, nine, 11, those are all like have these really cool qualities about them. And, you know, I'm no numerologist, but just mm. it, they, something about them just feels very kind of complete and almost like, I don't know, boring, like even numbers kind of feel boring to me. Odd numbers kind of feel exciting to me. Totally. They are, they're unpredictable. You know, I, I had this uh, roommate in college who was like super OCD and, uh, one of his one of the manifestations you know he he had like Tourette's as well and 
one of the mm. manifestations of his OCD was like if like he really like physically couldn't stand when the volume was on an odd number. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and so my roommates <laughs> being the mischievous ones they were, they'd like go in his room and like set all the stereo dials to like odd numbers just to like just to fuck with them, you know? That's so Wow. Yeah, I'm not a very OCD person, but of course we all have it that comes out in these weird ways. Like I count I count in in eight, sometimes four, but mostly eight whenever I'm filling up my glass of water. So like I'll have to, you know, like try to guess the tempo that I want counting to eight so that once I get to eight, it fills up the glass properly, you know? Huh. Like you count and to eight seconds or you count by eight? I count by eight and depending on the glass size and the water speed, <laughs> um, it, wow. I will like change my tempo. You know what I mean? You're like eight, 16, 32, 24, no, no, 30, no, no, no. 40. One, two, Okay. So three, you count by one to eight. Four, I was like, five, damn, you're like some crazy seven, math whiz. <laughs> no, it's just, I don't know. That's always been my thing. And the volume I had, I had to overcome that and I still like probably half the time I'll like make sure it's at an even number but it's interesting because I'm not really into even numbers Mm. very much otherwise but the volume thing that always wow that's interesting yeah 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 it was funny we'd be like watching something like on on our tv like you know all of us roommates together like the six of us Mm mm-hmm and my roommate, what, my other roommate would get this look in his eye and he just so, ever so casually like walk, like grab the remote and like put the volume to like 37 and then just watch the beads of sweat form. Like we'd all kind of be watching the roommate and like you could just see the sweat building on his forehead and like, he knew what was going on. He didn't want to like give him satisfaction, but at the same time it was like driving him nuts. And uh, it was so funny. It just, you know. <laughs> I, there was like so much tension in seeing that digit. He, I, I guarantee he wouldn't be able to tell if he didn't see the digit on the screen, but it was just, Oh, totally. It, uh, it was really funny that to, to just how that, those quirks manifest. Right. Um, well, yeah. I really wanted to talk to you a little bit about your chef work. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, you know, <clears throat> can you kind of just give me a little, summary of what you've been up to what's your like what's your uh you know what what has your business been have you been able to like stay in business during this time and uh what what that all has looked like traditionally like how you consider yourself professionally as a chef and mm-hmm. you can just get a little snapshot verbal snapshot of uh, the megstonator sure yeah yeah um it's definitely been a really strange time to be a chef and a chef that works primarily with events because those were some of the first things to be lost. Um, I shouldn't say lost. That sounds very uh, terminal, but like just the first thing to stop with this pandemic. Um, and previously the last few years, I've been really interested in, in um, wild food and stuff that I find growing in the wild around here and just you know it all started of course with the sense of smell yeah can i stop you for just a sec um your voice keeps cutting kind of cutting in and out weird okay i don't know Um, if it's the connection maybe like i don't know if you're far from a internet source or 
Just be Maybe I can go into my bedroom and see if that makes anything better. Um, I just really it, wanted, want everybody to be able to hear what you're saying. And uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I wonder... Hmm. Okay, just bear with me a second. Yeah, yeah. No one inside. As much as I love hearing the ambient sounds of bird song, <laughs> I can hear the fair yeah, that, facts that in the air, you know. It definitely helps with creativity to be outside. How is this? And um, I'm also sort of like holding my microphone more up to my mouth. Yeah, it's still, you still kind of sound like you're in the Matrix. I and wonder. Maybe, maybe that's just something we're going to have to live with, with, with the imperfection of the Skype call. Cool. Yeah, it's a digital world. Let's yeah. just roll with it. Let's just roll with it. And, you know, apologies to those of you that do have the OCD in our... our <laughs> going crazy from, from the robot sounds. Um, yeah, we're, we're it's kind of appropriate for the Megstonator name. This is my, it's my robot name, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Cause it's like this delightful blend of this, like, like beautiful feminine timbre that is your voice mixed with like a, <laughs> like a robot, like kind of like digital uh, cadence. So that's so funny. Wait, yeah. actually, is it what is it any better now that I'm inside? Because if not, I'm totally going back outside. Why don't you start talking again about your chefing, and okay. uh, we can see. Yeah, I think the the timbre is one thing, but but uh, it would it would kind of like pop in and out, and I know that that got you be distracting for people trying to follow your words. Okay, well, we'll try this again. Um, yeah. So I was saying that you know. I had been working in events previously, so that was sort of the first thing to be lost with the um, pandemic. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd been doing, you know, a little bit of catering here and there, but my primary, I guess, not focus, not that it was most of my work, but it was the thing that I was most passionate about and wanting to grow was working with wild food. Um, and that is definitely something that started from sense of smell you know I'd just be out and about and sort of like see a plant and smell it and that's always how I meet a plant for the first time is just like check it out smell it sometimes it's quite obvious that it's edible and I can just taste it you give them a little smell yeah a little smell planty plant and sometimes it's um it's not as obvious. There's certain families that I know have, you know, poisonous members and stuff. So I'm definitely not saying that anyone should just go putting anything that smells good in their mouth without <laughs> knowing a little bit more. But um, I just sort of like fallen in love with like the smells of various areas and then the taste of various areas, you know, like you're you're out by the coastline and you smell like the sagebrush and the fennel and you smell the seafood. And I was just like, wow, I really want to cook the, the experience of this place that I'm in right now. Or you're in the forest and there's like the Douglas fir tips popping and that beautiful, like zesty green flavor. It's like really lush. And um, I just, I got really inspired by, yeah, the, the like sort of ambient smells and flavors of a place and um, wanted to start incorporating some of these flavors that like no one really tastes in, in their everyday lives. So um, I've been putting on 
events that are sort of like little pop-up dinners. Um, some of them are just like for my friends and we'll go out and collect mussels and we'll make a paella and something like that. Or some of them are sort of more high-end, um, you know, multi-course um, meals where everything will be foraged, you know, from the acorn flour that we grind to the wild mushrooms to seafood is kind of obviously foraged, but you know, so it, it can be really, it's been really elaborate and it's been really fun to like really just like stretch my artistic or creative wings in, in that realm, putting on these, you know, extravagant food events. Um, and to that, yeah, we, you know, looking at, at the sort of like novelty of having these crazy sort of expensive um, explorative events, it's it's been an interesting time to like reconsider that because um, as soon as all that stopped, I was like, wow, what am I doing? What is important? Um, you know, I think it's really cool. I think there was a lot of elements um, that I really love how it hopefully inspires people to connect with the land in a new way um, when they would, you know, interact with wild food. And also since the pandemic started, I just, you know, pretty quickly adapted to starting a meal program where I'm cooking dinner for people and delivering it around mostly just this neighborhood. And I've really been loving the humble act of like, I'm just cooking dinner for people. You know, it's like nothing fancy. I'm sure some people would probably call it fancy. <laughs> but for myself, it feels like I'm just getting to sort of like make these, you know, break bread with people in some strange way, even though we're all isolated in our homes. But we're having this shared experience of all eating Meg's dinner. And um, that's been feeling really nourishing to just be like, God, this is such an essential act. And, like, everyone needs to eat and feel connected through food. It's definitely one of my favorite ways to connect with people is to feed them. It's so, you know, direct. And, yeah. So, so anyways, the you know, I've been sort of, like, reconsidering, like, okay, well, what, what do I really want to be providing for the world? I don't know if it's going to be just cooking dinner for people forever. But um, there were some aspects of that where I'm like, it, just this time in general does not feel like, okay, let's do crazy, explorative, expensive things. And um, so I'm sort of like putting that down for a little while. I still have my personal connection to obviously nature and food in nature, but um, it's been feeling really good to just have like a little zero waste dinner program. I got to say. Do you have a name for that program? It's called wild food. That's the name of my, um, my company in general and that mm -hmm. encompasses a lot of different things so this is like the shelter in place meal program um and if anyone wants to check it out um i do deliveries on saturdays and it's for um anyone in fairfax and san Anselmo. and then i also sell them at the farm stand in lagunitas and so my website is wild-food.org and you can you can see the menu there. That's so cool. You're like yeah. the friendly neighborhood Megan chef. Um, <laughs> and that, you know. Yeah, I, you know, my brief uh, 
br- the brief foray I had into political organizing in college um, mm. was part of like a, a nominally, we didn't call ourselves socialists, but we had a lot of socialists in our group. Um, mm-hmm. And my, one of my biggest, I had like two major takeaways. One that like everybody was miserable, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like getting super involved in this way, like it was super contentious. Wow. Um, and that stuff certainly played out in the hyper politicization of like everything these days online. But mm. the other big takeaway I had was if you're really trying to organize people in a place, like you just want to get people together, yeah. it doesn't matter what your cause is. It doesn't matter how like sexy your flyers are or how good your rhetoric is. Like the best way to gather anybody in a location is to feed them. I was always advocating at meetings. I was like, okay, great. We're going to like go table or we're going to go like do a protest. I was like, who's cooking? Yeah. If we hand out chili or like make like sandwiches, like people will still will, will hang out and eat and then you can talk to them and they will listen if you're feeding them. Oh my God. So like, you know, it's almost like political advocacy through the stomach, you know? Um, Yeah. I think that whatever you're doing, like, like there is this like really primal, uh, you know, deep human element that it it responds to communal eating and and food. And I think it's like really is the great uh, Mm. equalizer and the great like unifier. Um, you know, the, the, even like hearkening back to the, you know, the stories. I don't know if you've seen the, um, that documentary that came out a few months ago about Woodstock. No, I've heard about it. It's amazing. It's like so good. I really recommend it. It's on Netflix to anybody. I forget the exact name of it, but it's, it's the, they made this documentary not to be confused with like the classic one. That's all the performances. This is like about the festival, but there's this, um, there's this great moment where they're talking about, you know, for those of my fellow hippie weirdos out there that have gone to Camp Winter Rainbow will be familiar with (laughs) He really came into prominence at Woodstock because they hired him and his, and his crew troop to be uh, the security for the event. And they were like, they were like the fun police. I forget what they (laughs) called themselves, but they were like the first people to set up, um, freak out tents at festivals. They realize that like people who are having bad trips on psychedelics, like don't need to be like constrained in holding cells, but actually just should be taken to like tents with like blankets and toys and like relax. And they had this really cool system in place where people would come and maybe they'd need like an hour to get through their bad trip. And like, they would Mm -hmm. sit with them and they would bring them back down to earth to the point where they were feeling like good again. And Mm -hmm. then those people would be the next people that would help the next people that were freaking out. So like kind of closed the loop where like you were freaking out. Now you're good. Now you have this opportunity to like help this other person because you were just there. And then, Mm -hmm. and that act of helping was actually like the final thing that would then actually put these people back on like an amazing psychedelic experience. Wow. Uh, that's a little like tangent, but, but the, the other cool thing that comes into play in the, in the, um, in the documentary is that they had, uh, this free kitchen going at Woodstock and there was hundreds mm. of thousands of hungry people and that 
you know, they just started handing out these cups of like oats and a cup, like they made like some sort of like early granola mix mm-hmm. and they just fed like, I think it was like maybe 200,000 or 500,000 people. And, and the, th- the part that like this kind of made me tear up. I got so moved by this part of the documentary. Mm-hmm. They're interviewing all these people that were in the town. Cause it, it was like a pretty conservative town where Woodstock took place. And so they're interviewing all these like farmers mm. and, and folk that like identified as like nominally conservative, but they were all like, well, there was all these young people and, and they were hungry. And so we just, you know, we just emptied our pantries. And so like all these people just donated cans of soup and, and one farmer donated like 1200 eggs and, wow. and like all these people who like maybe politically weren't, you know, in line with the, with the hippie movement, but they like wanted to take care of these young people and like support them in having this moment. And I was just so touched by that. And I, th- I thought it was like a really good message for today's times. You know, the whole, the guy who, um, who had, who owned the property where Woodstock was thrown, it was thrown on this farm. And the guy who owned the farm was like a staunch conservative Republican guy. And he was one of the old timey Republicans who was like, oh. you know, initially the the festival was supposed to take place in the town of Woodstock itself, but there was like a league of, of people that got together and they didn't want all these hippies coming to their town. So they like uh, basically like they got somehow got the mayor involved and got them to like, re- like revoke the permit. So mm. they moved to this other town where the farm was and the, and the, the, the guy was like a conservative, but he was more of like a libertarian type and he wanted to really stick it to the man. So he was like all in support of, you know, these young people making this political statement in this way, even though like he wasn't necessarily on board with the full, uh, you know, the full platform. And I, I just thought that that was such a cool example of like a nuanced perspective that like they could connect in this really deep human way especially with like the food, you know? Yeah. God, that's beautiful. That makes me really want to watch the um, documentary. And yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of connecting with food and the previous tangent you went on about uh, drugs, that just reminds me that they are not separate from each other. Every food is a drug and it just has a different dosage. You know, it has every single thing that you put in your body will affect you in a really mild way. The best example I can think of is sugar, you know, like let's not forget what happens to young children when you give them sugar. It's just like giving them cocaine, you know, and, uh, and, and cocaine is just a plant. Like, you know, it's just been highly refined. And, um, and so, you know, as you sensitize yourself, as we resensitize ourselves to the the various energetic qualities of food in general, um, yeah, we totally realize that they all have these really specific ways that they make us feel. And, and um, you know, when you decide to go on a trip with someone, let's say, so you take some mushrooms with your friend, and you're really on the same page, you know, you're like, you're in the same place because you have just ingested this this thing that really you sort of gives you the same message you know and 
it's the same thing for eating. You know, like when you get together with a group of people and you've just shared a meal, even though it's a lot subtler, it's not a psychedelic experience. There's still a lot of um, affect that it has on your body and your mind. Um, and it really puts you in the same place, like sharing a meal at the beginning of a hang or, um, you know, at the end of a night, really, it gets everyone on the same page. And I really, that's what makes me really happy about sharing food with people. You know, it's a, it's a pretty direct way of connecting. Totally. And, and yeah. I feel you on the, the, um, the food as a drug, you know, yesterday I decided to start my day off with my cup, cup of coffee. You know, my roommate works at the ramen shop here in Oakland and they have these mm. like amazing, uh, salted chocolate chip cookies and he's been bringing home packets, which I've been trying to do like no processed grains this month. And largely, you know, I've been pretty successful, but, um, man, chocolate chip cookies are my weakness. And (laughs) yesterday I decided to have a cookie in the morning with my coffee and it was amazing. So much mouth pleasure, but the, you know, it, I definitely like sent me on a trip, you know, like the, oh, yeah. I like was trying to get out on a hike and I kind of had oh. to like redefine the parameters of my day. And I, I was riding the cookie high for for hours. And I think, that, uh, you know, one of the side effects as you like, move or you refine your diet is you do start to kind of peel these layers away and you get you do get more sensitive to these stimuli and mm-hmm. I can tell mm-hmm. you, you know, in, in February I was very like, I was much more strict about my intake of sugar and, and processed grains. And there's a couple of times where I'd like have some ice cream or like a, you know, a pe- bite of pizza or something. And, and the next morning I'd just wake up and I would feel like, like complete dog shit, just like totally wiped, like hung over. Yeah. And oh yeah. Just, like, I mean, you got sugar hangovers for right? sure. That's, what happens when you drink wine? Yeah. And so I was totally just like, you know, I, I'm trying to not be an absolutist in any form. Like if someone's, you know, if my roommate bakes banana bread, it doesn't matter what break I'm on. I'm having a piece of that banana bread. Fuck yeah. Like I fresh baked <laughs> goods out of the oven when they're warm. I have no defense for that. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't say no, you know. That would be inhuman. That would be right. inhuman rude, behavior, you know. Yeah, to this totally. token of connection, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I live I live by the same rules for sure. <laughs> it's offered. Yeah, <laughs> you know, temperance in all things, especially temperance. You know. So, yep. Um, yeah, I dig it. But yeah, the the um, you know, with with the connection on these different substances made me think of this this story uh that i heard about the uh the vikings actually mm. back in the day apparently as legend would have it <sighs> they would all eat mushrooms right before they went into battle oh my god and um it was, <sighs> it was it's it's thought that like the the infamous berserker which is like this warrior who entered enters in this like blood frenzy where they're just like screaming and like going crazy and performing like these heroic feats of speed and dexterity and strength. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are th- modern, you know, historians think that that was the result of like uh, them having these psilocybin things getting super into their weird, you know, if you think about a culture that has, you know, through rite and ceremony and tradition shaped your worldview to where you believe that like 
battle is a glorious thing, that dying in yeah. battle is the best thing that can happen to you, that make, that's the only way to get to Valhalla and like party with the gods, and that you're actually entering into this ceremony that might get you there, and that like at the same time you're with your entire family and your tribe eating shrooms, and you're all like have psychedelic superpowers, and you're on this like level of connection, synaptic Whoa. alignment to where you can like coordinate things like a shield wall or you know a charge and um you know i know i've gotten pretty weird on shrooms before so i can imagine <laughs> if i had like armor on and a sword and i was trying to intimidate some pesky christian who you know i'd just be like <laughs> rah, rah. <laughs> wow that's so interesting i wonder if that is like a i don't know my experience with psilocybin is that it's like one of the kindest most gentle like I just feel like all of the gentle feelings like silliness and like you know there's definitely a deep like like grounded uh sense for sure which I can imagine but it like kind is the word that comes to mind like I'm I'm just really kind to everything I see I see a little tiny bug and a little plant and like I just that is so outside of my understanding of like what's possible on psychedelics but but mushrooms particularly Mm -hmm. and maybe that's a feminine thing i or just a not ancient viking thing but um that's really surprising to me i think it's uh i think it my intuition is it's probably more of a cultural thing because i don't think i could go into battle on shrooms Maybe that says something about my my femininity, but um, I think it's, you know, I think you can't discount the role uh, of the culture of these people and that they, totally. they were going into this not as, not seeing like the violence even as a, you know, like a fundamental evil, you know, mm-hmm. that you they, they, we, we come from this culture that is so, even today at its roots, based off of a Christian worldview that like things like thou shalt not kill are like so deeply ingrained in our value system. And mm-hmm. we live in this era of kind of liberal humanism, which, you know, the, the, the causes or the reasons that we ascribe to why that's a, a truth are, are different. We've changed the language, but yeah, when you think about a culture where like shedding blood is considered a way to revitalize the earth and give back to the soil and where like death isn't considered mm-hmm. this, this great evil it's it's like part of uh the journey um yeah i'm not saying that i condone violence or i think that like the raping and pillaging was a was a a positive but i just Mm -hmm. think it's fascinating to try to like put myself in the perspective of one of these people who like literally believed they were you know engaging in like this holy act the sacred act of yeah and and that like therefore because they'd been brought up in this culture the the physiological effects of the drugs that they took fed into like that belief system wow yeah that's so um that, that that's just really uh interesting to hear and i'm glad that you brought that up cuz well, i just and, and also, my mind didn't go there sorry not to interrupt you again but no, like no, it's also important to remember that 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 Viking women were fighting alongside the men. And exactly. That, that, like the Valkyries, you know, these, these 
mythical figures in, in mm. Norse mythology were like very much revered and shield maidenhood, the shield maidens were, were, uh, you know, I heard stories about how, you know, married couples would, um, rotate, uh, on, cause they would go and raid in the springtime. So like every other mm-hmm. year, the man would stay home and do the menial tasks of child raising and like tending the home and the woman would go to battle and vice versa. Um, so that everybody wow. would like kind of have a chance at this earning glory and riches for their family. And that like, you know, so important to keep in mind that it wasn't even a purely masculine or feminine thing. Um, but that, you know, you had some real badass Viking, you know, shield maidens just alongside. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's so, so cool to hear about. I don't know much about Viking history at all, but, um, you know, now that I'm thinking about it more and, and just like the the sacred part that death is to life, you know, um, that is that is something that I definitely think has been lost in our culture is like, just stay alive no matter what, even if you have prosthetic legs and a tube going down your throat. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I've never prescribed to that way of thinking mm-hmm. Um the eternal life cycle. So it definitely makes sense in that way to me. And also mushrooms themselves are decayers of living matter. You know, they are the transformers of death into new life. They take rotting trees and they digest them and turn them into this new form of life. And um, so actually, you know, that makes sense in a hugely transcendent way of like, not really just looking at this realm. It's like, okay, so there is this life, but all life must, you know, transform into its next iteration of itself. So yeah, that does make a lot of sense. It's pretty wild that, uh, we happen to be on this topic because, uh, I literally just got a text as you were talking that, uh, my uncle just passed away this morning (gasps) at 9am. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's I'm I'm good. I I, I think oh. like it. Uh, I'm not like feeling like I'm hammered by the news. He's been sick for a while, and oh. I definitely loved him. And he's uh, he was like a total, you know, psychedelic titan artist figure. And uh, oh. I, I feel you know like we're saying like I think death is a really natural part of the cycle. And, uh, mm. I don't feel like this big surge of pain or surge of like law. Lo- I mean, there's loss there. I certainly, uh, I'm going to miss his presence and miss, you know, t- trading banter with him and whatnot. But I also know that like he was in a lot of pain and he was suffering and, mm. um, and that like the way that his mind works, you know, like I kind of, I think he's going to be all right wherever he is, you know, and uh, mm. I, I uh, just want to give a shout out to my, my uncle Peter, you know, coasting into the cosmos today. Um, really amazing painter, uh, really just one of those people that, I, you know, I, I wasn't the closest with, but, you know, we always would kind of, the way that we would interact was always by exchanging little quips with each other and, he, uh, he was certainly, um, you know, I, I think in, in his own way, like spread his love in this really nice, uh, you know, texture in our family and, um, going to definitely be 
giving my my love out to my cousin and my aunt who I'm sure are are feeling that but uh but yeah it's just crazy how how these things come up and work and you know oh. um you know with the I, I feel grateful to have the this kind of perspective with around death um I know mm. for a lot of people it's it can be like an incredibly traumatic thing and and it takes a lot of processing it's something that maybe goes on for a lifetime um especially when it's like a sudden thing but yeah um, you know, I lost my, lost my father in January and that was another experience of, of, of dealing with, you know, people going away, but, uh, to bring it back around to the psychedelics, I think that in my own experiences with, with those substances, like I really do see it as a, as just another door opening as a journey, you know, elsewhere. And, and certainly these characters, live on in my mind and my heart and the stories that I tell about them. And, um, you know, that a lot of times this is just me personally, like everybody has their own process, but with, uh, with me, I feel like, you know, a lot of the holding on is, you know, almost, you know, for me, and this is totally for me, but like the, the feelings feel like almost like this selfish clinging, like, no, you have to hold on for me. I need you in my life. And like the, the person mm-hmm. is ready when they're ready to go. You know, a lot of times these people will hold on until their families leave the room um, mm. so that they don't feel like they're hurting anyone or letting, you know, people down. And um, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, with regards to my uncle, like I'm going to miss him, but I'm also like, you know, feeling like a big kind of cosmic thumbs up, like, yeah, dude, like you were a liver, you lived a great life. I like feel so much love for you. And like, I'm, it's almost like I smile. There's like this surge of pride and like, I have a smile on my face. Like, you know, now that it's at its end, like, man, what a life, you know, what a beautiful life Mm -hmm. that was lived. And he really did. He really, he really did his thing in the most, you know, his thing way that he could have. So Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, just have a moment here for for Peter. Yeah. Sounds like he was an amazing man. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Hobbs. Totally. So. Yeah. I you know, I know that uh it's a personal thing and you know, for for people that maybe this tr- stimulated uh, you know, emotions in like just know that I do it all with love and I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to share it, but just the the topic we were on it just seemed like yeah. too natural and uh it it i felt like it needed to be put put out put out there and mm. um, this you know this episode will will probably not go out for a week so there'll be time for for people to you know my family and everything to, to feel their feelings and all that and i certainly don't mean this in any way to try to cheapen the moment or lighten you know take away from anyone else's experience of it but for me you know as as i'm sure you you know Mm -hmm. megan so much of my processing is done verbally with the people that i care about and And you are a verbalist yeah so (laughs) felt natural you know (laughs) herbalist and a verbalist herbalist and a verbalist but uh yeah i'm gonna you know honor him in my own way by jumping in some water today and invoking Mm. invoking. what water are you gonna get into i don't think i'm allowed to say uh (laughs) in a public forum Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, just know that it will be quite delightful. It's it's a very sacred place to me. Um, mm, that sounds great. One that uh, I've been been dipping in my whole life. Nice, nice. Well, I hope but, you enjoy uh, that. Yeah. Baptism. Totally. I uh, I wanted to. I, how are we doing on time? I know that you said you did you didn't have a lot today. Yeah, you know what? My primary uh, restraint right now is actually the size of my bladder. So, oh, do you want to go uh, go <laughs> go run to the bathroom and I can? I and I do have. Um, I have to be off at about one thirty. So okay. great. Yeah. Well, I have one more little anecdote that I wanted to ask you about. So okay, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm down. Bathroom. I'm ready. No, I'm ready. Okay, you want to power through? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so. I've known you now, Megan, for what, uh, probably about seven, eight years, I would imagine. I'd say so, yeah. And I have never really, I've only heard in like kind of inferences and little like side stories, uh, mm. the story of you in Australia. <laughs> and I just wanted to get a little bit of a biography, you know, of like, like what, how that all came to be and like how you found yourself living in Australia and like how, what, what that, you know, how that shaped you or, or whatever. Gosh. If you don't okay. Mind. Yeah. You know what? I do need to go to the bathroom before yeah. answering this question. Cool. All right. Go, go <laughs> that's, down that's under. A big one. We'll get down under. That's a big one. Yeah. Okay. Entertain them for me while sure. I'm gone. Sure. Yeah, folks. Well, you know, uh, the um today i probably edit all of this out anyways but um may 26th i can't believe it's already may 26th it is pretty uh, time time you guys ever notice how like the older you get you know because you've experienced more time there's almost this like reverse uh, inflation in, in how much, um, each new unit of time feels like a minute to a five-year-old feels way longer than it does to a 30-year-old than it does to, I would imagine, a 70-year-old. The more time you've accrued under your belt, the shorter each subsequent moment, uh, ends up being. So for me, that break that now we have Megan back, that was a, a, a mere blip in the, in the cosmic ether of time that I've experienced. And, uh, you know, had I been seven, that might've been an eternity, but, but thanks to, uh, thanks to time. And we got, we got a sponsor on this podcast, uh, big shout out to time, uh, for <laughs> keeping things moving. And, uh, now we got Megan back and, um, yeah, if you, if you have the time, Megan, uh, I'd love to hear about your, uh, your experience of, of Australia and how, how that all came about. Isn't it interesting that we, we call it have the time? Like, is it even possible to have time? What's the famous quote from Star Wars? Princess Leia is uh, is on the Death Star. And, uh, oh, wait, it's not about time. Well, it's still apropos. Um, <laughs> she's talking to Grand Moff Tarkin, who's this, like, you know, kind of evil, uh, you know, general admiral character who's about to blow up her home world of Alderaan. And she's, you know, she's yelling, she's like, you know, 
held by Darth Vader and he's just telling her about how this battle station would be the ultimate force in the galaxy. And she, she just looks at him and she says, the more solar systems you try to grasp, the more systems will slip through your fingers. <laughs> and I, feel like I love that. That's, you know, some real, you know, Carrie Fisher truth. Of, Absolutely. Uh, of, uh, you know, the same could be said for the hourglass sand and, you know, this time. Right, the time-space continuum yeah. sort of slipping through your hands. Totally. You try, to, try to claim ownership, the more you get to yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, to answer your question, um, in some sort of brief format, um, I moved to Australia when I was eight years old and I moved there with my mother who was, um, just starting a relationship. She had started a relationship with this fellow Steve, who was my stepfather until they divorced. But I still, of course, see him as my stepfather. Um, and side, side note, Steve, Great name to be said in Australian accent. Steve. Steve. Yeah, Steve is a classic guy. Um, and uh, so, anyhow, they um, they were sort of forming their relationship, even though it was long distance. And, um, and basically, mom decided to move to Australia as it was, you know, this can be a pretty tough place to raise a child as a single, single mother. And... Um, and um, at the same time was falling in love with this person. So we packed up our lives here in Fairfax. And at the time when I was just the tender age of eight years old, I was very much into circus. Um, I, my lifelong dream was to be in Cirque du Soleil. Mm. And I was training at the San Francisco School of Circus Arts. Um, and we were just about to do our first show that I was going to be involved in. Um, and I was really excited about it. It was a big step for my tiny little life at that time. And uh, and so it was kind of a big, like, not only was I leaving behind everything in, you know, all my friends and family and stuff, but there was this big sort of fulcrum for me <laughs> Uh in sort of giving up that dream because mom was like, nope, we're moving to Australia instead. You're going to have to forfeit the show. Mm. That's just a sort of side note. I was definitely, um, it was a big part of my childhood was like performance. And as you mentioned before, uh, um, Camp One Rainbow and stuff. Um, and yeah, circus life. So, so I sort of, you know, let that dream go for a while, even though I continued to do circus in Australia. It was much more like a little community folksy circus. Um, and, and yeah, we moved to a, a little town called Mullumbimby. And, um, and yeah, I, I went to primary school there and high school there and spent the first few sort of working adult years of my life there I did come back for a year and a half um in middle school and my father was always living here and you know my father's family and I always felt connected here I'd come back and visit often but was um that you would come back to uh he lived you know all around Marin County really okay is that what you said where yeah yeah I was just wondering yeah. for those who may not know your history where where here was exactly exactly sorry Whew, wow how 
Marin centric of me. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that your listeners are all local at this point, but who knows where this podcast will go? Hey, we're going galactic. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know what the galactic address of Earth is. Maybe you do. Galgamex need to know <laughs> where this is taking place. Right. Planet Earth. So, planet Earth. <laughs> yes. Uh, continent Americas. So, anyhow. Um, yeah, I, I spent pretty much most of my formative years in Australia. Um, and it's not something that a lot of people know about me because I didn't pick up an accent, which in itself is a, an anomaly to me. I don't really understand why, but... Um, Although you're pretty good at... You can do a pretty good Australian accent. I can slip into an Australian accent if I really want to. But it's a bit... Like, this kind of accent is a bit more, um, like, deep Australian accent. It's a bit more oka, as they would oka. say. For me to do like just a city sort of this is this is pretty city. This might be like a Sydney accent or something. Mm. Um, but I honestly don't really I don't really like the Australian accent. Oh, um, sacrilege! <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, no, it's, it's it's not true. It's I just never you like say that because like in my travels, I've done a fair amount of traveling around the world, and I I I'm convinced that the Australian accent is the most universally beloved accent. <laughs> You know, everybody loves a good Aussie. You know, it's just like so laid back and so. It's really laid back. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. It's the timbers and the. the, It's lazy. Delightful. I really like. But (laughs) I'm I'm sort of joking. I'm sort of joking, but but it just never like grabbed me. Like Mm. there, it's funny because I actually. I slip into accents very easily. So if I'm hanging out with someone from Britain, I will almost instantaneously and somewhat subconsciously slip into an English accent. Yeah. And uh and it just didn't happen in Australia and I actually find that not a lot of people can really do an Australian accent oh, well. So There's um you know it took me 14 years of living there to be able to I, I don't know how well I pulled that off. Maybe an Australian can can rate me. But um, it's I, I don't know if it's that it's like a, still a forming language. It's sort of newer than other languages. I mean, sorry, other accents, at least mm-hmm. in the English language. Right. Um, but it's it's like a it's a difficult accent to do. It really is. It doesn't feel natural at all. Right. Um, so, yeah, anyways. It's kind Pointing. of like British, but you have to like talk from the back of your mouth or like kind of twist your lips a little bit. And right. I feel like it's almost like a combination of like British and a little bit of Southern, like like American. Drawly. Drawly. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly as yeah. Americans, we're like always like getting pulled into like either like the Red Lobster guy or I mean the Outback Steakhouse guy <laughs> or like crocodile dundee you know those are like our two like examples like ah put another shrimp on the bobby oh god i know i know and And there there are like you know little little pockets of like sub accents i don't know what the term is for that um but you know you can you can sort of pinpoint like the southern australia having more like queen's english and then you know, Northern Australia, Cairns and Darwin and Queensland being like really Australian deep, you know, and then Central Australia sort of similar. Um, But then the sort of like mm, Sydney, Brisbane, Brisbane's actually a little bit more like Northern Australian, but there's definitely little pockets. It's just sort of harder, like not even Australians necessarily 
No, where in America, you're like, that person's from Texas, no doubt, you know, and that person's from Louisiana, and that person's from New York. So it's not quite as clear, even for people who live in the country, but you can, you can pick accents, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why yours, I think, is more, feels more genuine, because there are, like, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why you see so many British actors who do uh, such a good American accent and mm-hmm. not the, and it's very rare that like Americans can pull off a good British accent. It, hmm. I think it's because, well, a, like most media is like either New York or Hollywood based, which has sure. a pretty neutral, like the California accent is pretty neutral as far as like the dynamic range of, of pitch um, relative. To Interesting. Uh, so it's easier to, I think model, but then also, uh, as far as like England goes, like it's such a region specific language. You go 10 miles down the road and it's a completely different accent. And so for Americans, like we aren't, uh, growing up hearing all these subtle differences between like, even in London, like how many different accents are there, you know? And so the best we can do is try to approximate like an amalgamation of all these different posh cockney, you know, uh, Northern England, there's like so many different vibes. Whereas, you know, for a lot of the world, they grow up watching TV with this very specific American accent. So being able to do that, which also just happens to be the accent that most of our movies use for speech, um, it gives almost like an advantage to these actors who are trying to, I think, isn't it called like code switching when you like take on the other person's uh like accent. I do the same thing as you where I'm very sensitive. Like I'll start changing the way that I talk based on who I'm talking to. Um, but I think that it's called like, I think it's called code switching when you like start to take on the affectations, um, of the person that you're talking with. Uh, and you gotta be careful. I know. Oh, did I lose you? It is because everybody's on the internet cause they're all from home. Uh. Let's just say our internet, uh, provider has been, been messing up. And yeah. Anyways, I just did a whole long outro so we can, I can cut this in the middle. Cool. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's put a bow on it. And, uh, just, uh, so you, you just gave us your delightful Australia story. <laughs> you made your triumphant return to Fairfax. What in like 2012, 2013? Around then it was sort of a soft return with a bunch of travel and sort of using this as my base and then headed back to Sydney for a little bit um, and uh, or not back to Sydney, but I returned to Australia and then lived in Sydney for a little while and then officially landed back here. My memory for years and dates is awful, but um, I think it was 2015 that I officially landed back here. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, yeah. I think I met you working at, the sleeping lady oh gosh you know it was the five year anniversary of the sleeping lady closing just last week yeah i got really emotional about it i miss that place so magical much zone that was, was one of my favorite places to play music and, uh, <sighs> yeah shout out I to the sleeping though, lady reopening it no lies that but like someone else is opening it up okay huh where did you hear that, that from uh, my brother, Tony was telling me that I forget it's not the same people, but someone 
that it's not going to be like tamal or whatever, that it's going to be like a new ve- like little venue in the same tradition that it was. Oh, and wow. That would be cool amazing. People. I forget exactly. And forgive me if you're listening and you're like, this is me. But <laughs> it's some really cool people that are opening it up and like, it's going to be more along that vibe of like small intimate venue that has oh my gosh. music, um, which is, I think Fairfax really still has the niche for that specific vibe that was the sleeping lady. Interesting that someone's decided to do that at this time in the world. I'm glad. I'm but guessing I'm... it was pre Corona, you know? That... Well, but tomorrow didn't, did they close pre Corona? Anyways, whatever. This is small town antics. Right. I'm excited. I hope that we have a wonderful place. Yeah. To gather totally. again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I just want to say like, I love you. Thank you so much for coming on my show. The Bartcast is richer for having had your divine presence on our, mm. on our airwaves. And, uh, are there any last things that, uh, little snippets you want to cover or, um... uh, you know what? No, I love the, little trail that we ambled down today (laughs) and it's just so sweet to talk to you as my buddy and as someone who just is one of the best conversationalists in the world and I'm just so glad that you're doing this um, to share with people because you lift people up I always feel really I'm like wow I have have some semi-interesting things to say as soon as I'm talking to you and and I've listened to some of your other shows and they're just awesome I really I'm so happy for you that means a lot. Hey, how can uh, how can people find you? What what where can we point them if they want to uh, check in on what you're doing? Or yeah, yeah. So I mean, Instagrizzle is always a good place. Um, my handle is Megstonator. Um, and then if you want to see my website, then it's wild-food.org, and you can sort of navigate to under the cooking and and. Uh, cooking and catering I think there's a link to the shelter in place and that's kind of the only thing that's live on my website but the website will just say a little bit about um what I'm doing as far as a cook and then Instagram will have sort of a more broad sweeping selection of little videos of all my different creative outlets so that's just more personal zone um slash artistic zone so yeah that's that's my uh online presence awesome we'll we'll Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, check her out. Check out the vibes. If you're in the Fairfax, San Anselmo region, do yourself a treat. Get one of these delightful dinners. I know I would be. I've thought about driving out and just having her deliver to me in the parking lot so I could eat it. And, uh, yeah, Megan, thank you so much again. And um, I hope you have a lovely Tuesday. Thanks, Hobie. It's an honor. I love you, darling. Let's let's hang soon. For sure. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Um, anyways. Um Yeah. Dialects, dialectic, conversation. Those are all themes on the Bardcast that we like to embrace. Maybe get a little weird. But uh but all of you guys out there on this like hot Tuesday, beautiful summer is creeping its Steamy tenderless fingers up all of our backs, reminding us that uh, it's time to take off those uh, flannel blankets that you've had on your bed for this winter and replace them with some nice linen or, uh, you know, Egyptian cotton or, 
you know, something silk if you're if you're fancy like that. Um, you know, maybe take one of your comforters off your bed, go down to one or none. Maybe uh, if you're not, you know, a naturally naked sleeper, maybe consider trying that as an option because uh, that definitely helps. Um, and, you know, opening that window at night, turning on the fan, you know, things are going to start, you know, heating up from here on out. So, um, for all you, all you funky folk that are feeling the heat, whatever you got to do to keep it cool, just know that I support you in those endeavors. And, uh, uh, I just want to say thank you to, uh, my homegirl, Megan, Rachel McCullough, the inmates donator for coming on my podcast. And, uh, we did have the kind of awkward dropout ending which is all good that's it's part of the way these things go it's an imperfect science and um sometimes you know your sometimes your internet the internet gods they giveth and they taketh away and uh and so um you never know you know it's 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 you might get a clean feed you might get a a um interruption or a distortion it did sound like her voice got a little better at the end there as far as the clarity i know in the beginning it was a little bit jarbly but uh but yeah uh go check out megan's uh website i think it's wildfood.com or wild foods you could just google wild foods and or wild food or whatever and uh she's an amazing chef i got to go to one of her pop-up dinners and it was like Oh, it was like one of the best meals. It was right before the COVID hit. We had like mus like foraged mussels. There was like a nettle, like nettle, uh, made like homemade flatbread with like this delicious drizzly olive oily lemon nettle mishmash on top of it. And then there was, um, delicious salad and, the dessert was this like amazing custard that she made. That was like one of the best desserts I've ever had in my life. Um, truly great. Um, but, uh, yeah, go check her out. If you're living in Fairfax, I highly recommend taking advantage of what she's been providing. I live in the East Bay. Otherwise I would be, um, totally hitting that up like every day that I could for dinner because Megan is an amazing chef really, uh, embodies the art form and, um, you know, to be able to dine on her wares would be just such a joy. So, um, love to you all. Um, I hope you guys have a great week and, uh, I think y'all will be hearing this in June. So happy June, everybody. Summer is here. And uh, my my pure, unadulterated, undiluted, raw love goes out to all of you guys. Be well, my friends.